Let's pray together. Almighty God, your word is glorious and beautiful. By your spirit, would you open our ears to hear what you would speak to us today? Open our eyes to more clearly see you as you make yourself known to us in Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. I'd like to start by uh, showing you an artist's reconstruction on the slides here of what we'll be speaking about today. We have the high priest's garments there on the left and the tabernacle on the right. Uh, we, of course, don't know if all the details are right or how exactly things look, but hopefully this will help you kind of picture what we're going to be talking about this morning. It might seem uh, like an odd topic. Uh, but it is part of God's revelation, and I think you'll find it very fruitful. Um, and I'm just going to leave that up there this whole morning so you can kind of reference it as we talk about these things. Hopefully that won't be distracting for you, but that's the priest's clothing in the tabernacle. Atop Mount Sinai, clothed in cloud and fire, Yahweh spoke to Moses he gave him plans for a tabernacle, a tent of beauty and glory. And it would be God's own dwelling place. God would descend upon his tabernacle and dwell in the midst of the camp of Israel in the same way that he had descended on Mount Sinai while Israel gathered round. This tabernacle which God designed is a symbolic mountain. It's a symbolic mountain. It's white outer curtain is a veil of clouds and the most holy place the room at the back of the tent represents the top of the mountain where Yahweh dwells shrouded in cloud and thick darkness just as he did on Mount Sinai the high priest would ascend into the holy place and then the most holy place in the same way that Moses ascended Mount Sinai to meet with God and this tabernacle, the tent, is woven from blue and purple and scarlet yarns, the colors of the sky. It's embroidered with cherubim, angels. And in the darkness of the tent, the flames on the golden lampstand shine like stars, reflected in the gold paneling of the walls. When the priest goes into the Holy of Holies, he is ascending the mountain of God. He is climbing the ladder to heaven. The tent, the tent is God's dwelling after all. And where does God dwell but in heaven? And so the tabernacle is a mountain. It is also where heaven meets earth. It's a portable mountain where Almighty God can commune with his priestly people. Now, this design, according to the standards of the time and the situation uh, that they were in, was a glorious and beautiful house. It's a house. Now, it's a house for a glorious and beautiful king, but it is still a house. It has a table. It has a lamp. It has a barbecue pit. It has a sink where you can wash your hands. It's a house. But a great palace, a great house, must have stewards. A great king must have household servants. And so, from the fire and cloud atop Mount Sinai, Yahweh not only gives blueprints for his house, he also commanded Moses to ordain priests to serve him in his house. And I'd ask you to kind of abandon most of the associations you have with the word priest. 
Uh, think of the priests of Yahweh as palace servants, okay? Think of them as palace servants. And the, the Hebrew word is kohen, and it simply means that, a palace servant. Best to think of the priest as like a steward or a butler, one who manages the household of a king or of a lord. The butler is the one who keeps the household in order, he ensures that the silver is polished, that the food is prepared, that the guests are welcomed and provided for. He's an expert in the rules of the house. He knows the way the Lord likes things done. And he ensures those rules are followed by all who would visit the Lord. And so the butler receives those who come to visit and he instructs them in the proper way to approach the Lord. The proper way to act in his presence so that they can come to the Lord and have their requests heard and receive the Lord's blessing and the Lord's gifts. So think of the priests like that. The sons of Aaron are Yahweh's butlers, his palace servants. And we're going to talk a lot more about what they actually do, their actual work, next week. Today we're talking primarily about their garments. Here in the fire and cloud atop Mount Sinai, before he is told how to ordain and set apart these household servants, Moses is first given patterns, patterns for their clothing, patterns for these holy garments, Exodus 28, 2. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and beauty. They are holy garments. Now, all the furniture in Yahweh's tabernacle house is holy the utensils, the altar where God's food is cooked, the lampstand that lights God's house, the table where God's bread is placed, the priests too. They're treated as part of the furniture of God's house, and so they are to be holy as well. Now again, we've kind of collected some uh, unhelpful connotations for these words. When we hear holy, we usually think of moral perfection, don't we? We think of certain behavior or certain speech that is holy. We have phrases such as holier than thou. Uh, we think holiness is primarily about what you do or say. Now, certainly, our holy God is perfectly good and he's fully just. He always does what is right. He is morally perfect. That is one aspect of his holiness. But that limited understanding of holiness doesn't work for other things the scripture calls holy, right? How can an altar be morally perfect? How can a golden lampstand behave in a godly way? Indeed, how could a garment be holy in that sense? And so we'll kind of be nearer the mark if we understand holy to refer to things that are allowed in God's house. Okay, Holiness has to do with being allowed access to God's presence without being destroyed. And in this light, you can see that the altar can be holy, the lampstand can be holy, animal sacrifices can be holy, and yes, even garments can be holy, because God has called them to be brought into his house, and he has established rites and rituals to prepare these things for use in his house. God declares what is holy and what is not holy, what he will or will not allow in his presence. And this works with people, too. Holy ones are those who have been granted access to the Father. So these priestly garments, they're part of the holy furnishings of the master's house. They are declared holy by God and are fit to be used in his house. 
And the text says these garments are not only holy, it says they are for glory and for beauty. For glory and for beauty. Now you know that this is the real purpose of clothing. I mean, you have multiple outfits in your closet, not just one to cover you up, right? And you decide which ones are glorious and which ones are beautiful before putting them on and going out in public. You think about how it looks. So clothing is not simply a consequence of the fall. It's not just a practical necessity to cover our shame. Clothing's true purpose is for glory and for beauty. And we can see this in the example of God himself. God bears no shame for sin, and he doesn't have a body that needs to be covered up. But still, God is described as being clothed. Job 37.22 says God is clothed with awesome majesty, clothed with splendor and majesty, says Psalm 104. It also says he covers himself with light as with a garment. Psalm 18 says he made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. God is clothed with glory and beauty, so God clothes his priests with glory and beauty as well. And what garments of glory and beauty does God require for his priests? Exodus 28, 4. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. Now the breastpiece, an ephod, is kind of that piece that goes over the chest and shoulders, almost like a coat of armor. Verses 6 and 15 tell us they are to be made of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen skillfully worked. So you need to pay attention to those details. What's it made of? Gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns. Because we've seen these materials and colors before. They are the same materials and colors used in the tabernacle. And that ephod, that chest piece, will be worn over a robe. Verse 31 tells us the robe will be olive blue. Kind of looks purple in that picture, but it's actually blue. It will be hemmed with gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. And that robe is worn on top of a coat or a tunic. Verse 39 tells us this coat is made of fine linen. It would be white. And you can see it there in the sleeves and the neck, and it's sticking out at the bottom there as well. That's the coat or the tunic. And you can see that that corresponds to the white curtain around the outside of the tabernacle, the white linen clouds that surround the mountain. So do you see that the priest's clothing is the same material and design as the tabernacle. His clothing is even laid out in three zones, which correspond to the three zones of the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, we go from outside to in. We have the white linen fence around the courtyard, up and in to the holy place with blue, purple, and scarlet veil, all the way up into the most holy place, covered with blue, purple, and scarlet, plated with gold, embroidered with cherubim, where Yahweh sits above his throne, the Ark of the Covenant. Now on the priest, the order is reserved, the movement reversed. 
The order is from inside to out. The innermost layer on the priest is that white uh, linen coat. And then on top of that, the blue robe with sky color hems. And then the outermost layer is the gold breastpiece and ephod with many precious stones in it. So the garment that corresponds to the highest and innermost part of the tabernacle, the most holy place, on the priest, that corresponds to that breastpiece and that ephod, which are his outermost layer. They are centered on the priest's chest. And so you see that the center of the man corresponds to the center and heart of the tabernacle, the place where God dwells. Now, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to see the symbolism here, right? The priest's garments are a copy of the tabernacle, aren't they? And so that means the priest is himself a living, breathing, walking tabernacle. The priest is a dwelling place for Yahweh. As Yahweh intends to dwell in the tent, so Yahweh intends to dwell in his people. That's what we are to see in this symbolism. Yahweh intends that his will would reign in their hearts and minds, in their words and their deeds. Now God calls his people to build that earthly tent, that earthly house, but it's not as though God is homeless and he needs his people to build a house for him. He tells Isaiah, heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? When Solomon later builds the temple for Yahweh, he says, Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. God does not need a tabernacle or a temple. The priest's garments show us what God's true goal is. God is building for himself a living house. God's people will be the center of God's presence in the world. At the time of the Exodus, this is what God is teaching his people through these buildings, these garments, these rites. God is going to build his dwelling place in you, Israel. You are to be the breathing, speaking, walking tabernacles of Yahweh. God is calling Israel to be the people who bear his name before the world. And this, too, is embodied in the priest's garments. Verse 36 tells us, You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holy to Yahweh. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts it shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Seven letters in Hebrew, holy to Yahweh. It's a plate of gold, the highest metal in this order, this gradation of bronze, silver, and gold, corresponding to the golden furniture in the tent and in the most holy place. One of the other things Moses received on the mountain was the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, the fourth of which commanded Israel, you shall not bear the name of Yahweh in vain. Now, not incorrectly, we generally think of this fourth commandment as a command about our speech. We should not be speaking God's name in a flippant or careless manner, and that's true. But 
try to think of that fourth commandment in terms of this golden plate on the priest's head. He literally bears the name of Yahweh. That Hebrew word bears means to lift or to carry. The priest is carrying Yahweh's name on his head. And so the fourth commandment is not just about speech. It means that Yahweh has written his name on Israel the same way the priest bears the name of Yahweh on his forehead. And so what's Israel to think of this? What, what are they to learn from this? Far more than just watching what they say, Israel must attend to the whole scope of their thoughts and their words and deeds in the sight of the nations because they are wearing Yahweh's name on their foreheads for everyone to see. And this is why in the law, God says to Israel, I am Yahweh who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. You've got my name written on you. They can't wear God's nameplate in a light or empty manner. They bear a heavy, glorious name. And this is portrayed for them in the garments of their priests. Now, the name of Yahweh is not the only name that appears on the priest's garments. Verse 7 tells us that the shoulder straps of the ephod have two onyx stones fitted to them. And on these stones are engraved the names of the twelve sons of Israel, the twelve tribes, six on each stone. Verse 12 says, You shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. But also on the breastpiece there are precious stones. Verse 17 says, you shall set in it four rows of stones. We won't go through the whole list there. Verse 21, there shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So the priest bears the names of the twelve tribes of Israel on these shoulder stones and on the precious gems, and each name is graven twice, a double witness from each tribe. And the text just tells us what these stones signify. It says the priest will carry the names of the 12 tribes into the most holy place, into Yahweh's throne room, to bring them to regular remembrance before Yahweh. Now, I would probably translate uh, memorial instead of remembrance, but that's fine. And we've talked about this many times, about the purpose of memorials in the scriptures. Never hurts to have a reminder. See what I did there? But notice that this memorial is not only for Israel's benefit, right? They're not the ones being reminded. Memorials are directed to God. They are to remind God of something. Now, is this because God's kind of forgetful and he has to have the names of his children brought in there to remind him every once in a while? No. Think of the memorials as a call to action. God's people bring memorials before him, and they call him to act upon the promises he has made. The rainbow is a memorial that calls God to relent from the flooding of the world again. The Passover meal is a memorial, calling God to continue to deliver his people from death as he did at the first Passover. 
And so with these stones on the breastplate of Aaron, the priest takes this breastplate into God's throne room. He's showing the memorial to God. It's an enacted prayer, and he's asking God to continue to keep the promises that you have made to all these people, to the sons of Israel. So what promises is he calling God to act upon? The promise God had made to Abraham, Genesis 12, 2, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The promise God made to Jacob, Israel, Genesis 35, 11, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Those are the promises, God's covenant promises to the sons of Israel. And so the priest goes into his throne room, bearing the prayer of all Israel on his chest. As you have promised our fathers, we pray you to fulfill those promises in our day. The garments of the priest are memorial garments. So these are the garments of the priests according to the pattern given Moses in fire and cloud atop Mount Sinai. They're not simple coverings. They're not merely practical. In fact, they're not very practical at all. God himself is clothed in glory and beauty, and he wants his servants to be clothed in glory and beauty as well. And these garments are glorious and beautiful, especially when you start to consider what they teach Israel about God and his plan to glorify and beautify his people. God intends not only to have a house built for him, he intends to dwell in his people. He makes his people his tabernacle. He inscribes his name not only on plates of gold, but on the hearts of his people that they might be holy as he is holy. He makes Israel a nation of priests, that as the ordained priests do for Israel, all Israel might do for the world, which is to help them draw near to God and receive his gifts. And God calls for Israel to come before him, engraved on those stones on the priest's breastplate, so that God can renew his covenant with his people and continue to bless and deliver them as he promised. These are the priestly garments. They are glorious and beautiful. But they grow even more glorious and beautiful when we see that they prophesy of the great high priest to come. These garments teach us of Jesus Christ. We see in these garments that the Levitical priest was symbolically a living, breathing, walking tabernacle, speaking the word of God as it was delivered to Moses on Mount Sinai. But the Gospel of John tells us that in Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word translated dwelt, it is skeno. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word tabernacle is skene. So John's Jewish readers likely heard him saying, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Now, whereas the priest was a symbolic replica of the house where heaven and earth, God and man met and fellowshiped together, John is telling us that Jesus is himself both heaven and earth. He is both God and man. He is himself a truer tabernacle. 
than either the tent or the priests ever were. In him, God and man dwell in perfect union and harmony in one person. The priests of the Old Covenant wore the golden nameplate, Holy to Yahweh, a visible reminder that all Israel bore the name of Yahweh and were not to bear it in vain. But Jesus not only bore the name of Yahweh, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Yahweh's name was imprinted on the golden plate, but in Jesus, Yahweh's very nature is imprinted on the flesh and blood of the man Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone has borne that name of Yahweh perfectly, never in vain, never in an empty matter, but in all things accurately portraying the righteousness, the holiness of the Father. Jesus was truly holy, as the Father is holy, and he brought the Father greater glory and beauty. Not only that, Jesus puts God's name upon us as well. Into whom were you baptized? Into Jesus Christ. And in what name were you baptized? The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Christian, Jesus has graven his name on your forehead. He has claimed you for himself, and you are not to bear that name in vain, but to always remember who you are and whose you are. And just as Jesus is the fulfillment and perfection of the old covenant priests in the way that he represents God before men, so Jesus is the fulfillment and perfection of the priests in the way he represents man to God. Remember, the priests bore the names of the twelve tribes of Israel graven in stone on their body. And they carried those names into the earthly tent as a memorial before God. But Jesus took our very flesh upon himself. What did John say? The word became flesh. God became man. We are not talking about a garment that can be put on or taken off at will. Jesus took humanity upon himself never to take it off again. He is and always will be the God-man. He was born in human flesh. He lived in human flesh. He took human flesh to the cross to cut away human sin. He was buried in human flesh. And he rose in glorious and incorruptible human flesh. He ascended in human flesh. He reigns even now in heaven in human flesh. And he will forever reign as true God and true man, the greater Adam, the Son of God, the human king of creation. So Jesus bore not just our names, but our very humanity. And he bore it not into an earthly tent, but into the earthly uh, not into the earthly replica of heaven, but into heaven itself. Into the throne room of God where he sits at the Father's right hand. And just as the old covenant priests wore the stones with the names of Israel as a memorial before God, so Jesus Christ bears a memorial on our behalf. But his memorial is not precious stones. His memorial is his own flesh and blood is human flesh and blood. 
This is what Jesus tells us through his ordained minister every Sunday. This is my body. This is my blood. Do this as my memorial. And so Jesus, our great high priest, he goes into the Holy of Holies and he displays his risen human flesh before the Father. And he calls the Father to remember his new covenant promises. He calls the Father to act according to the promise that he made when he gave his beloved Son on the cross to die for us. And then raise his beloved Son for our eternal life. He prays, as you did for me, Father, continue to do so for your people whose flesh I bear before you. Continue to save and deliver from sin and death those who eat and drink of my memorial in faith. If the Father received the worship of shadow priests in shadow tabernacles with shadow offerings, how much more does he hear the prayers of the substantial one, his beloved Son, the true priest, the true tabernacle, the true sacrifice, the true memorial? And this is the gospel of the priestly garments. If the garments of the old covenant priests were for glory and beauty, how much more glorious, how much more beautiful are the garments of the great high priest, Jesus Christ, who ever lives to intercede for our salvation. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are the great high priest. In you, God and man, heaven and earth have been united forever. Thank you for graving your name on us in our baptisms. Thank you for bearing us on your chest as you enter into the Father's presence. Thank you for interceding for us even now. Continue to intercede for us. Keep us in your care now and forever, we pray. Amen.